I'd like you to invite you to turn in a Bible to the book of Ruth. Uh, you heard it read earlier. That was powerful. It was great to listen to the entire book of the Bible read to us. We're going to look together at Ruth. It's page 210. And while we'll be studying this book in some more detail in coming weeks, today we want to take sort of a 30,000 foot pass. We want to kind of look at things uh, from a bird's eye view. And I want to talk for a moment about the situation at the beginning of the story of Ruth. The very first line of the story says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. <clears throat> now, if you look right before the book of Ruth, the book that comes before it is the book of Judges. The book that comes right before the book of Judges is the book of Joshua. I tell you that to try to help set this book of Ruth where it belongs in the story of the Bible. In the book of Joshua, which we studied together as a church just a couple of years ago, the children of Israel, by faith, are entering into the land that God has given to them, the land in which the nation of Israel today still has part of. And in the book of Joshua, they are being put there by God himself. And by faith, they are trusting as God gives them the promised land. In the book of Judges, we are told that while Joshua was still alive and the generation that were contemporaries with him, the children of Israel served the Lord in faith and in power. However, after Joshua died becomes a, begins a long, slow decline that follows a pattern, actually. And the pattern goes something like this. For a season, Israel's heart, while they're in the land, becomes proud. They give way to idolatry. They begin to disobey and disregard the commands that the Lord has given to them. At some point... God brings discipline into their life, usually in the form of an invading nation or a foreign power that subjects the children of Israel to difficult living. In the midst of that difficulty, the children of Israel begin to realize they've walked away from the Lord. They cry out and ask for forgiveness, and God raises up a judge, people like Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. And on these people, God's spirit is powerfully present and they lead his people back to a place of being right with the Lord. However, the book of Judges is about the cycle continuing and in fact spiraling downward so that each time they move away from the Lord, they move further from the Lord, and each time they come back, they don't come back quite as far. This is the time period into which Ruth is being, it happens. In the times when the judges ruled. So this story is taking place at a very dark time in Israel's history. We don't know exactly when. 
but during the period of the judges means this is happening while the nation is slipping away from God. We're also told in this first sentence that there was a famine in the land. That's another sign that things are not going well for the nation as a whole. When God sent Israel to the promised land, he told Moses and Joshua that he was not sending them to a land that was like Egypt. In Egypt, you could irrigate things relatively easily because there's a gigantic river, the Nile, that runs through the middle of it. God says, I'm purposely not sending you to a land like that. I'm sending you to a land that drinks water from heaven. And the only way for that land to produce is if I provide rain. No rain, no produce. And God says, I will be faithful to provide rain unless you disobey. So the fact that there is a famine in the land is another sign that things are not well in the nation of Israel at this time. We also are told at the beginning of Ruth that a man and his wife Naomi are fleeing from Israel to go to Moab, which is modern-day Jordan, because of the famine. That's another sign that things are not going well. In the book of Joshua, people are coming into the land. Here at the beginning of the book of Ruth, people are leaving the land. Now, the situation is not only dark for the nation of Israel. This woman, Naomi, who leaves with her husband to go to Moab, her husband dies at a young age, and she's left with two sons. Those two sons that she raises in Moab marry Moabite women. That's against the Mosaic law. Another sign that people are disregarding what God has commanded them to do. Those two sons also die. And so Naomi is left in this foreign land, a widow, having lost her two sons. At some point, the situation is not just dark for Israel, it's dark for her. So much so that you might have heard in the reading that when she comes back, she asks that people call her Mara and not Naomi because Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. That she says God has made her life bitter. So the situation at the beginning of the story of Ruth is that of disobedience, darkness, and death. It's a time of famine, a time of bitterness, a time of discipline from the Lord. Now, anytime we read stories in the Bible, the invitation is for you and I to find ourselves in the story. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look more closely at the characters of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, and that will be an invitation for you and I to find aspects of our story that resonate with what's going on in their stories. But the question for us this morning is, 
Are you in a place of famine? Are you experiencing darkness or discouragement or bitterness? We think that in the Christian life there shouldn't be such things, but clearly there are. Maybe you're experiencing the famine of not hearing from the Lord and you feel that the skies have been shut and that your prayers are going unanswered. Maybe you're experiencing the famine of a difficult health diagnosis and you're walking through the midst of that. Maybe you're experiencing the famine of widowhood like Naomi was or you've lost a loved one, a child like she has as well. Maybe you're experiencing the difficulty of singleness like Naomi was, like Ruth was. Maybe you're experiencing the famine or the difficulty of living in a country that is sliding further and further away from the commands that God has given in his word. That's the situation at the beginning of Ruth. It's a place of discouragement, disobedience, darkness, and death. Now turn over to the end of the story of Ruth. You heard the story written, read, But let's look now at the end of the story, the situation at the beginning, both for Israel as a nation and for individuals living during that time, was dark. The end of the story of Ruth, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. It's a very different picture at the end of the story of Ruth. Ruth is now married. She has a baby that God miraculously allows her to conceive. Boaz, who wasn't in the beginning of the story, enters the story in chapter 2. He too was single at the time. He too was experiencing difficulty in his life. But by the end of the story, he is married. And he has this beautiful, amazing, wonderful wife. Naomi, who experienced such bitterness at the beginning of the story that she didn't want anybody to call her by her name, but instead be called bitter, by the end is rejoicing and celebrating because she has this grandson, this grandson who's going to take care. Plus, she has a daughter-in-law that's better than seven sons. Not only... Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi experiencing blessings. But this son that Ruth has, this is King David's grandfather. And the point is, is that God is also preparing a huge blessing for the nation of Israel. They've been in the season of the judges, but God is bringing to them a king 
who will give them the glory of the Davidic kingdom. All this is happening, and so the situation at the end of the book is about joy and life and blessing and hope, both for the nation as a whole and for Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. And the question is, how did we get from the beginning of the story to the end of the story? How did we move from death and disobedience and darkness and discouragement and bitterness to a place of joy and blessing and life and hope? The reason this is such an important question for you and I today is because if we resonate with the beginning of the story, if we find in our own lives a season of famine, or darkness, or difficulty, or doubt, or disobedience, or death, how do we move to a place of life, and joy, and blessing, and hope? Well, there's a key word in the book of Ruth. It's the word redeem. It's used 14 times in this little book. And the way we get from the situation at the beginning to the situation at the end is redemption. Boaz is redeemed. Naomi is redeemed. Ruth is redeemed. The nation of Israel is redeemed. This word is used over and over again in this little short four-chapter book. It was in the section we read, verse 14. He has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Redeem is the way we move from the situation at the beginning to the situation at the end. But what does that mean? What does the word redeem mean? Well, let me show you another passage in the Old Testament that not only describes what it means, it pictures it for us. It comes out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. That's this same word. That's this same idea. What does that mean? What does that look like? I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cushion Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Redeem means to rescue. It means to restore. It means to renew. It means to bring reconciliation. It means to make things right. This picture in Isaiah is beautiful. When you go through the storms of life, I will be with you. When you walk through the fires of the difficulty of life, I will be there and I will protect you. They will not overcome you. And the point is this. 
God, because of his great love, his love for you, his love for me, cannot sit idly by while our lives fall apart. He just can't do it. And in the midst of the disobedience, the darkness, the depression, and the death, God intervenes to bring rescue and renewal and restoration to redeem so that we end up with blessing and hope and joy and life. The word redeem has a financial component to it too. We still hear that a little today when we talk about redeeming a coupon or redeeming a voucher. There's a financial side to it. You heard it in Isaiah 43. I give Egypt as your ransom. I will pay for you. And the point is, when God sees his people in the midst of darkness and doubt and depression and famine, he says, I will pay whatever price is necessary to bring you out of that to a place of hope and joy and peace and life. That's what happens from Ruth chapter 1 to Ruth chapter 4. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of rescue, a story of restoration, a story of God making things new. It's a story of moving from death to life. Now, I told you we're not only going to study the book of Ruth this year, we're also going to study the book of Esther. Esther is another Old Testament book, and in many ways, the story of Esther is parallel to the story of Ruth. There are two books in the Bible named for women, Ruth and Esther. Esther is also a story about redemption, a story about rescue. It's just in the book of Esther, instead of it being sort of circumstantial like widowhood or having lost a loved one or famine or those sorts of things, singleness, in the book of Esther, it is an enemy who seeks to kill and destroy God's people. And in the book of Esther, God also rescues and redeems and renews, but this time in the face of a great enemy who is trying to destroy. And maybe that's more your story. Maybe it's not so much the circumstances of life in which you feel like you're in the midst of a famine, Maybe you feel the presence of an enemy, the presence of the evil one, the spiritual warfare, the difficulties of others who are sinning against you, the hardness of having an enemy who wants to destroy you. That's the story of Esther, but it's parallel to the story of Ruth. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of God refusing to sit idly by when an enemy has set his sights on you or on me, but is willing to pay whatever price is necessary to move us out of that famine and that darkness and that wilderness into a place of life and blessing and joy. And so we're going to study the book of Ruth and the book of Esther together as parallel books. We also are going to study the gospel of Mark. How does Mark fit with Ruth and Esther? Well, if you're still in the book of Ruth, I want you to notice how the book ends. 
it ends in a very odd way. It ends with a genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Now, the reason that's so odd is that genealogies don't end stories. They begin stories. You start a story with a genealogy. You don't end one with it. Ruth is the only story that ends with a genealogy. Why? Because we're meant to see that the end of Ruth's story is actually a prelude to another story. And where Ruth leaves off, the New Testament picks up. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over in your Bible to the very first page of the New Testament. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. It should be like 782 if you're using the church, 783 if you're using the church Bibles. You'll find something that looks like this, a blank page says New Testament. We're talking about the very first page, the opening of the story of the New Testament. Notice how it opens with a genealogy. That's how stories open. The opening of the New Testament story is this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, this genealogy should start to sound familiar, Ram the father of Abinadad, Abinadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of... Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. This is Jesus's genealogy. And Ruth ends with a genealogy because we're meant to see that her story is a prelude to the ultimate redemption story, the story of Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, which is the version of Jesus' story that we're going to study in the fall, one of the key verses is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which says, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear the redemption language? Do you hear the language of Isaiah 43? I give Egypt as your ransom. The point is God cannot sit idly by while our lives fall apart and he is willing to pay any price to move us from death to life even and including the ultimate price of giving his son to rescue us from darkness, discouragement, and death, and to bring us into a place of joy and hope and peace and life. Ruth and Esther are the prelude to the story of Jesus. The story of a God who, despite our disobedience, who despite our rejection of him, refuses to leave us in the famine of the wilderness, but pays the ultimate price in sending his son 
to buy us back and to rescue us and to restore us and to renew us so that we might have life. Now, as we go through Ruth and Esther, parallel stories, and Mark, they're the prelude to Mark, there are three big ideas that I want you to keep in mind as we study these books this year. The first big idea is this. When you listened to the book of Ruth read today, when you go back and read it this afternoon, or when you read it as we go through it in more depth in the next few weeks, I want you to notice that in the book of Ruth, there are no prayers. There are no priests. There are no prophets. There is no tabernacle mentioned. There are no sacrifices. There is nothing outwardly religious at all going on in the book of Ruth. There is no religious trappings happening in the book of Ruth at all. When we get to the book of Esther, if you want to read ahead, that would be great. You will notice in the book of Esther, there are no priests. There are no prophets. There are no written prayers. There are no sacrifices that are made. There is no temple. There is no external religious kinds of things that are happening. Just like in Ruth. And then when we get to the Gospel of Mark, we will see that the religious leaders the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, those who are engaged in the pursuit of religion are one of the main obstacles to the redemption that God is bringing about in Jesus. And the big point that covers all three of these books is that redemption comes through relationship, not through religion. In Isaiah, God says, when you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you because I am with you. It's about relationship. It doesn't say you will not be burned in the fire because you have good religious practices or because you go to church all of the time or even because you say the right words in prayer, as important as that may be. Redemption happens through relationship, not through religion. That's why in Ruth chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Refuge, rescue, restoration, renewal. These happen through relationship with God, that God became a human in Jesus Christ so that we might know him, that God has given us his spirit so that he might be with us at all times. He says, do not be afraid. You will go through trials and troubles in this life, but you will be rescued from them, not because of the rules, not because of the religion, but because I love you because I'm with you, because I will never leave you. Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 7, speaking of the religious leaders. 
These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And so the big picture point number one, redemption comes through relationship, not through rules and religion. Big picture point number two for all three of these books. As we think about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and Israel and Esther and Mordecai and Peter and James and John and these stories of redemption, it's an invitation to you and I to not only hear our own stories of redemption, but to realize that our individual stories of redemption are an invitation by God to participate now in helping rescue and redeem others. By the time we get to the end of the book of Ruth, Ruth has not only been rescued, she's helped rescue Boaz and Naomi. And Naomi has not only been rescued, she's helped to rescue Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz has not only been rescued, he's participated in the rescue of Ruth and Naomi. That's the point. Overall, God is the redeeming God and he's the main character. But the idea is is that God brings rescue and redemption to others and then invites us to participate with him in what he's doing. That's why in Mark it says, for even the Son of Man, even Jesus, God, a very God, God himself in the flesh, did not come to be served but to serve and to participate in the redemption and rescue of all of us. And so as we think about our own redemption stories, and I don't just mean our salvation stories. I mean the ways that God has met us in the wilderness, the ways that God has met us in the health crisis, the ways that God has been with us when we've lost a loved one, the ways that God has rescued us out of our own disobedience, the ways that God has rescued us out of the sins and attacks of Satan and others. Those redemption stories are invitations for us to join him in helping rescue others. God cannot, will not sit idly by while people that he loves are being destroyed by Satan, sin, death, and darkness. And he's inviting you and I to join him in the beautiful journey of redeeming and rescuing others. So that's the second big idea. Our redemption stories are an invitation to serve others and help redeem and rescue them. That's why it's not surprising that God wants us thinking missionally about who we are as a church and how we can use what God has been doing to help us as a church to turn around to bless others. Because Calvary Church does not exist to be served, but to serve and to give our lives to rescue others in this city and in this world. Third and final sort of big picture point. Ruth and Esther are preludes to the story of Jesus. And the invitation is for you and I 
to see our own redemption stories as preludes to the ultimate redemption story of Jesus. And that when we share our redemption stories with others, it points them and prepares them for the story of Jesus. Again, not just our salvation stories, but any time God has shown up in our life and moved us from a place of darkness to a place of light, any time God has given us blessing or shown his power, his mercy, his grace. See, one of our problems is, is that we look at our own stories and we think, well, I don't want to tell anybody about this. What if it doesn't all work out great in the end? What if this sickness that I feel like God has given me strength to go through, what if it turns out ending in death? What if this thing that I've disobeyed in and God's shown me grace and mercy, what if years from now or months from now I slip back into that pattern? I better keep my mouth shut because I don't want to disgrace God. Listen. Ruth ultimately died. So did Naomi. So did Boaz. Ruth sinned again after this book was written. So did Naomi. So did Boaz. Naomi, I'm sure, went through another season of bitterness, another season of discouragement. The point is, you and I are not writing the ultimate redemption story, and therefore our stories are not the final word to be said. We'll still mess up. We'll still sin. We'll still die. We'll still experience the difficulties of the wilderness and the famine. But we are invited in the midst of that when God does rescue us to realize it's only a partial rescue, that the full and true redemption is coming when Jesus Christ returns. But we can share our stories now just like Ruth did and Naomi and Boaz and Esther and Mordecai, and Peter, and James, and John, and Mary, and Martha, that God has given us stories of his rescue and his redemption. And he's inviting us to realize these are preludes. They're preludes to Christ's coming, but they're also preludes that when we share them with others, it prepares the way for them to see the true story Of Jesus. God is a redeeming God. He wants the whole world to know about it because He cannot sit idly by while lives, cities, countries, and this world that He loves falls apart. And He's inviting you and I to share our stories with others so that they might know a rescuing, redeeming, restoring, renewing, gracious, merciful, kind God so they themselves can know that at the beginning of their story, darkness, disobedience, and death. The end of their story Joy, grace, peace, and life.